Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. When Killers of the Flower Moon director Martin Scorsese asked Scott George to compose a song for the film, George worked with other traditional Osage singers on a song that would honor his people. Now that song is up for an Academy Award. We'll hear from him this hour. We'll also talk with Molly Obamsawin about her latest musical collaboration that views her relationships in the context of colonialism. That's all coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Montana continues to rank in the top 10 states in the nation for the number of reported cases of missing and murdered Native women and girls. A presentation at a recent Montana State University Billings women's basketball game used halftime and the power of silence to raise awareness. Yellowstone Public Radio's Orlinda Worthington brings us the story. At halftime of the MSUB Lady Yellow Jackets game, instead of the usual loud commotion of the jazz band, cheerleaders, and overhead announcements in the Alterowitz gym, there is this. Spectators grew quiet as more than 50 Native American women, men, and children circled the basketball court in silence, each holding a photo of a missing or murdered friend or loved one. Daniel LaForge carried a picture of his sister, the second family member killed by violence. We're seeking justice for my sister. To this point, we we still haven't had a court date to where we've been able to get that justice. So any kind of awareness that we can bring to her situation and help us get that justice is something that we're striving for. It may seem an unusual pairing, a high-energy basketball game, coupled with the somber issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women. Randy Bear Don't Walk is the Native Success Coordinator for MSUB. He explains the significance. Basketball is huge in Native American culture, and it's a way to draw the community closer. It's, it's, it's a way to, to present our plight that we battle on a, on a daily basis. You know, the missing and murdered indigenous woman is a huge issue in our community, and a lot of times it's uh, swept under the rug, if you will. Raising awareness of MMIW started the game, too. The MSUB team entered the gym wearing red T-shirts with the phrase, No More Stolen Sisters. The change in warm-up gear was in support of the halftime event, sponsored by Missing and Murdered Indigenous People Billings. More than 50 missing or murdered Indigenous women were honored during the silent halftime. Thank you to all you brave people who came out today. In Billings, I'm Orlinda Worthington. The U.S. Department of Energy Office of Indian Energy is hosting the 2024 Tribal Clean Energy Summit this week in Temecula, California. The biannual event brings together tribal leaders, community members, and energy partners from across the country to focus on clean energy development for tribal communities. More than 700 people are expected to attend this year's summit. On Tuesday, U.S. Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm will deliver remarks. According to the DOE, she's expected 
expected to discuss the administration's commitment to strengthening engagement with tribes to build a clean energy economy. The summit is intended to provide a space for tribal leaders to build networks and explore clean energy projects. The DOE says these types of projects can create jobs and enhance climate resilience. The Alaska Heritage Institute is holding a public ceremony this week to welcome home a historic Chilkat robe to Alaska. It was purchased by six people in the lower 48 states and donated to the Institute. The piece is estimated to be at least 150 years old. The ceremony will include a special recognition of the donors and weavers who assisted in securing its return. The event will feature a traditional spirit dance to welcome it home and bring life back into the robe. Chilkat weaving is unique to Northwest Coast cultures and functions as a clan or ceremonial object within the Native community. The ceremony is scheduled for Friday afternoon in Juneau and will also be streamed online. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Drummond Woodsum, a full-service law firm whose nationally recognized tribal nations practice provides services to tribal nations and their enterprises and to companies that do business with tribes across the country. More at dwmlaw.com. Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Info on 35 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. After the tragedy that unfolds on screen in Killers of the Flower Moon, a song in the Osage language offers a measure of hope and strength. That song, Wajaje, is now up for an Academy Award, along with names like Billie Eilish and Jean-Baptiste. We'll hear from the traditional singer, Scott George, about the meaning and inspiration behind that song. We're also going to hear from an innovative musician who has a diverse repertoire, building up to a vivid collaboration in her newest release called Greatest Hits. It's by the group called Dear Lady with Molly Obamswin and Magdalena Abrego. We'll hear from Molly in a little bit. And if you would like to join our discussion today, feel free to call in anytime at 1-800-996-2848. That number is also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from Shawnee, Oklahoma, is Scott George. He is a musician and an Oscar nominee for the category Best Original Song. He is Osage. Hello, Scott. Great to have you on the show. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for joining us. And speaking with us from Los Angeles, California, is Molly Obamswin. She is a musician and part of the duo Dear Lady. She is Abenaki from Odonic First Nation. Good morning, Molly, and welcome back to NAC. Lily Spazaway, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, Scott, I imagine your life has changed a little bit here. You've been a traditional singer for more than 40 years, and now have you noticed people acting any differently around you with this Oscar nomination? <laughs> uh, 
just the people that I know, you know, my uh, nieces and nephews and uh, the men around the drum that I sing with, you know, they, you know how Indians are. We like to tease. So uh, I get quite a bit of ribbon every time I show up somewhere. <laughs> the movie star, right? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Movie yeah. star, Uncle Uncle Oscar, and all kinds of goofy <laughs> stuff like that. I like that one, Uncle Oscar. Well, <laughs> Scott, we're going to hear the song in a few minutes. But in the meantime, tell us what Wajaje means and why you chose it as the title. So Wajaje is is the name that we've given ourselves uh, probably back in the, I'd say, 16, 1700s. Uh, before that, we were known as a neoconska, uh, and at that time we were living in uh, Missouri in that area and on the Missouri River, uh, Mississippi River, and so we referred to ourselves then as children of the Middle Waters. But after we had contact with the French uh, and Spanish explorers, um, we they kept asking us what our neighboring tribes what we called them, what their name was, who were those people over there. And after after years of doing that, uh, a lot of English adopted those names uh, that we gave them. And uh, so we we changed our name where we started calling, referring to ourselves as Wajaji, and it has to do with name givers. Jaja uh, is, if I was to ask you what your name is, I, I refer to Jaja, Dr. Jaja, be what's your name? And uh, so that, that's that's where that came from. And, of course, the French, not being able to uh, uh, pronounce anything except their own language, they they colonized that name into Osages. Was, Osages, Osages, whatever it was, they, they came, came to that, and then we became Osages after that. And um, I, I've read one translation is a song for my people. Is that the most accurate way to translate those words? Well, it's no, it's not. It's a, it's just a title. You know, we in Native Americans, we don't and, unless we're forced to out of uh, uh, because you've you've created a, uh, a CD or some sort of recording. Unless you're forced to do something, you don't, you don't really name anybody's song uh, unless it's given to a person and it becomes that individual song, you know. Uh, so I've, I've, when they ask me that, I'm like, well, you know, I'm, t- I'm talking about my people and I'm, I'm referring to them in, in this song. So that's where that's where the title came from. All right. Got it. Now, Scott, I've read that one of the biggest challenges when creating the song was that you didn't want to draw too much from some of the older traditional songs with names of Osage warriors and such. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, you know, we share our, our music with our, our Ponca relatives, and uh, they've carried this music for years, you know, centuries. And uh, when Osages moved into Oklahoma, um, we put a lot of our things away. Our elders then said, you know, we this doesn't suit this world anymore, and so we're going to have to leave it. And uh, we went through a period of time when we were in mourning because of it, and that's depicted in that in the in the front part of the film, as we were burying a a pipe, and and so we became um, sorrowful people 
And so our, our, our relatives, the cause and the uh, punkas, brought the, a dance and a drum to us. And it's been over, you know, over 150 years ago now, but they also brought those songs with them. And because we share that relationship and we share our languages together, then we adopted everything that they gave us. And so when you when you listen to that music, the names that are in that music are are punkas or or cause or Omaha's because uh, we we put ours away. And so when we started thinking about that music, we were thinking, well, you know, you can't use that. You can't use that music because it has our relatives' names in it. And, you know, in today's world, that would be a copyright issue. You'd, you'd have to go to them for permission to do so. And so after that, we, we decided, well, we, we have no choice. You know, we've, we've, we've composed a few songs here and there for, for individuals, you know, in the past. And so that, let's, let's just compose our own song for that. And my, my brother, Van Big Horse, who is the language coordinator and director uh, for the tribe, Osage tribe. He, he was already working with the, uh, with the movie uh, in providing that language for them. So him and I both uh, started out thinking about that. And so that's, that's what we're going to have to do and come up with our own music and, and our own song. And Scott, how exactly did you first become involved with the film's soundtrack? And was it through that that relationship that you just shared? Yeah, it was. Um, we we knew that uh, at some point they were going to try. They wanted to incorporate our music into into that uh, movie. And you know, our, our ceremonial dances, we don't allow people to film them, and and we even frown on people recording them. Although it's getting harder every day to make sure that that happens. Um, so when we, they actually attended our, our ceremonials uh, a couple of summers ago. And uh, I was the head singer at that time for the uh, Gray Horse District. And uh, we danced for four days. And so I was, take, we were taking a water break on a Saturday evening. And I looked up in the stands, just, just glancing around to take it all in. And I could see them sitting up there and, uh, told my, my brother who always sits on the left side of me, I said, you know, look up there. I said, they're, they're watching us. I said, get ready. Cause you know, they're going to be asking us something. And, and, you know, then the summer came and, or the winter went by and then the summer started up and they, they, they were talking about it. I said, we want to shoot one more last scene. I guess all the filming had been done at that point. And uh, he told us what it was going to look like and all that. And, and so we thought, well, it's not us. It's not us into the arbor. I said we we can't give you that. You know, I know what you I know what you saw, um, but we can't give that to you. That's ours. And so we, when we told them that, they said, well, if we just bring dancers out into an open area and ask you to sing sing a song, could could we do that? And we had elders at the time said, yeah, that's that's fine as long as it's not underneath our arbors you know, and with the structure we have and all that stuff. It's just a song and a dance. You know, it'd be just like going to a powwow. And uh, they said, okay, okay, we can do that. So that's how we, we got involved in it. I think uh, Marianne Bauer was associate uh, director, I believe. Uh, she she worked with us through Van and my brother and told us what 
they were looking for and, and what they wanted. So uh, when we started out trying to come up with a couple of songs, um, we knew, you know, they wanted that, that good uh, good spirit in there, that good uh, feeling in there. And so that's, we both created a song, uh, composed a song, and, and we we recorded it and presented it to them. And then uh, uh, Martin and uh, Robbie Robertson both listened to them and, and, and chose one of them. Just, you know, out of luck, chose mine. I don't know what their criteria was. Uh, we felt like either one of them would have been would have worked, you know, and so uh, they chose that one, Wojaji, and then uh, it was at that point I had to name it because at that point it was just the song Scott composed and the song Van composed, you know. That's the that's the way <laughs> we are. We don't we don't we don't put names on them, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, so so once once we did that, then we had to name it and and go go through that process. Scott, where did you do the recording? Was it in, in Oklahoma or elsewhere? Yeah, we did. Um, uh, Van's uh, language uh, department had a rec- little studio in there, a little recording studio in there. So they had set it up to interview our some of our uh, speakers, you know. And uh, so we, we just recorded in there. Uh, we practiced a couple of times. Uh, I had to, We had to introduce that song to our, our singers because it, and sing it over and over several times to make sure everybody had it. And then we uh, uh, recorded it and sent it to them. So it was there. Wonderful, wonderful story, Scott. Appreciate uh, you joining us today and uh, just talking about this uh, this whole experience. It's just fascinating. We're going to take a short break, uh, but when we come back, uh, we're going to hear more with Scott George, and we're also going to listen to Wajaje, uh, which is up for Best Original Song at the Academy Awards. Stay with us, folks. Black Indigenous artists offer insights into their unique perspective on identity and culture. Their aesthetic grows from roots in two worlds that make vivid statements on history, culture, equality, community, strength, and joy. On the next Native America Calling, we'll talk with Black Indigenous artists about the stories they tell. Are you a Native American healthcare provider, recovery counselor, social worker, domestic and sexual abuse advocate, or traditional healer working in Native American communities? Dr. Ruby Gibson will begin an advanced immersion in healing historical trauma. This online master class in somatic archaeology uses the lens of a seven-generational recovery approach providing powerful modalities and is offered tuition-free to tribal members. Registration deadline is March 1st. Info at freedomlodge.org who support this show. You are tuned to Native America Calling. We're adding to our Native playlist today with two standout musicians, Osage drummer and singer Scott George and singer, composer, and bass player Molly Obamswin. Have you seen Killers of the Flower Moon yet? What did you think when the song Wajaje played during the final scene? Let us know. 1-800-996-2848. And we've got Scott George on the line right now. He's in Shawnee, Oklahoma, and Scott, what do you say? How about we play Wajaje for our listeners? Sounds good. All right, let's hear it. Oh, 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 oh,
the song was Jage, a song for my people by Scott George and performed by the Osage Tribal Singers. Well, Scott, tell us more about some of the Osage Tribal Singers. I think I hear both men's and women's voices there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we we have a, uh, there was probably about uh, 12 men singing, uh, comprised of my closest uh, friends that I grew up with. I refer to them, of course, as my brothers, and then uh, younger younger men sitting out there that have uh, uh, taken on the role of my nephews. And then behind me, there were I think there were thirteen women, and uh, everywhere from my wife to my cousins and uh, nieces and nephews, or nieces nieces, and then. Uh, there were we've all sang together on these uh, on these ceremonial drums for many years. Um, my cousin Angela Sepahoodle or Angela Tornita, um, her mother was a singer, Genevieve Sepahoodle, and had been on our drums when I first started. And uh, so there, she has two sisters and a daughter that sing, and so all of all four of them were there. Uh, our aunt, my aunt's passed away uh, quite a few years now, but uh, they've carried this on. Um, my wife, when I met her, she wasn't a singer, but she didn't have any choice. <laughs> so we've been <laughs> married for 30 years. So she had, she's had 30 years experience of singing. And uh, then we go back uh, to some of our, our nieces. And then I've got a sister on there. or called my sister, uh, Dobbin Manassi. Uh, she's uh, Comanche. But she's been part of our 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 drum groups and our singing groups uh, for quite a while, and uh, uh, she goes around with us when when it's local. She can uh, attend and and uh, help us out there. So, you know, no matter what we're doing, of course we're going somewhere every weekend. We don't we don't travel as a group. You know, we just uh, it's during our ceremonial dances in June is when we're all uh, together most of the time. Uh, other than that, we just go help people, and you know we don't set up on the side or set up as as a group anywhere, you know, uh, for competition or anything like that. Um, you know, but that's that's kind of what we do. Mm-hmm. Well, it really is a beautiful song. Uh, great job to you and everyone else who sang and 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 helped with that recording. And now, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, but but you actually appear in the film, and are you in that final scene? Uh, with the dancing yeah. and when the song's played? Tell us about that. Yeah, so we, uh, when they told us what they wanted and they wanted to shoot this scene, uh, we went and practiced uh, one day and, and then came back the next day uh, for the actual filming. And uh, uh, they had a 100-foot crane sitting out there and, and uh, had that uh, camera sitting over the top of us. And uh, so they explained to us what he wanted to do was was come off that drum and, and uh you know, bring it all up, and and we we were, uh, I guess, vain enough to think we were all have to dress up, you know, and and because uh, it was going to show our faces all contorted, trying to sing hard and all that stuff. But really, all you all you see is sticks, and then the top of our heads, you know. And uh, so that I think it took it one one time before everybody figured out we need to have hats on because some of us are a little older and thinner on top than we used to be. So <laughs> we'll. We ever put our hats on, and, and uh, really, that's all you can see of us is our is our hats. So I was uh, I was wearing a dark shirt, I think. So I was 
I was, I think I was at the, uh, to the bottom of the camera. Uh, all the women singers were, were, were uh, situated behind me. So, uh, which is, is kind of a typical formation if you're the head singer for some, uh, any kind of an event. Yeah. Geez, this is just a really cool story. So, um, you know, Scott, sometimes I hear about like when they film movies, they, they don't necessarily film the scenes in sequence, right? Like, do you remember like about what part of the filming that scene was, was it, it was, it wasn't at the very end, was it at the final scene they filmed or was it like more in the middle or at the beginning? Oh, no, no, it was at the very end. They were, they it were, from my okay. understanding, they, they were finished filming except for the part where he does the radio show and then, and then it cuts to us. So those two pieces were added on. Uh, okay. to, the, to the film. So everything else had been completed except maybe some touch-up things. And okay. so then they moved. Uh, so once we shot it, you know, of course, we thought that was it. But it was, we, we spent all day, we probably sang that sequence, that song over at least a dozen times that we could count. And uh, we kind of lost count after it got, got off and into the evening. Um, but we started about uh, 2 o'clock and on a nice... Uh, warm uh may afternoon <laughs> in oklahoma so <laughs> it got pretty got pretty uh pretty uh pretty warm by the time five o'clock hit and then uh, we sang it too what's that called the golden hour i guess when the sun goes down and and uh there's no shadows uh yeah. so we sang all the way into that that period of time and uh just you know one take after another i'd i'd go up and uh sit with Martin and look over, look to see what it looked like, what he was looking like at on his screen and what it sounded like. And so we just kept, kept doing it. And then they, uh, they actually had a couple of dancers, uh, dance in place, um, uh, several times they pick certain ones out and say dance in place in case they needed to clone them and push them, put them in areas where there wasn't anybody, uh, as many dancers as they wanted. You know, or there might be an empty space there. That's so that, was that technology they got, right? They can just cut and paste yeah. people in the scene. Okay. Well, yeah, Scott, let's yeah. talk about Yeah, that's super cool. The Oscars, they're going to be here uh, before we know it. Now, what's the plan? Will you and the others be performing on stage? Yes, as far as we understand, we'll be performing. As a matter of fact, we're going to a uh, rehearsal this evening. Uh, and, of course, we're not going to get six minutes. <laughs> So we're going to have to try to cut it down somehow and, and put it in their time frame. I don't know if they're going to cut to commercial while we're singing or what the, what they're going to do. I don't have no idea, but uh, they are I already know that you know we're going to have to. I think most of the music that's that's uh, played during that time lasts about two to three minutes, so we're going to have to cut it back somewhere. All right. All right. Well, we'll be definitely paying close attention. And I got one more question, Scott. I I know that um, you know we had. Chief uh, Standing Bear on the show when the movie first came out, and he said he was initially a little bit hesitant about the film, and specifically, you know, the Reign of Terror and how it would be portrayed on screen. But after he met with Martin Scorsese and the others, he just really felt good about the project. And and how about you? Did you ever have any doubts about how the movie was going to play out on screen? Well, after after what I understood about him, because I didn't participate in it, uh, as a matter of fact. We kind of shied away from it, uh, as I mentioned in the, in the beginning. Um, but we, I knew that they were meeting with our, our tribal members and the Great Horse community, uh, where that uh, 
the Burkhart family was from and, and actually met the descendant of uh, Molly's, uh, would be her Molly's uh, granddaughter. And so they walked through the whole thing with them. And I've heard, you know, people uh, comment about, well, you know, this it's another movie about from a white man's point of view. But after after we had our input into it, Everything you see about us is that is in that movie, you know, our our dress, our mannerisms, our language, and even now our music. So, uh, I, for the most part, I, I I feel like they accomplished what we we wanted to accomplish. That's good to know. Good to know, Scott. And uh, I want to thank you again for joining us uh, and just spending some time with us and giving us some more details. Like I said, I've read a lot of. A lot of articles, a lot of interviews, and uh, and you shared some information here that I hadn't read before. So thanks again, and hey, we are all pulling for you. Good luck at the Oscars, okay? Well, great. Thank you. You bet. You bet. Uh, we're going to go ahead now and switch gears, and our second guest, Molly Obamswin, is waiting. She's waiting in the wings. She's in Los Angeles, California, and uh, again, she's a musician and part of the duo Dear Lady. And Molly, you doing Okay. Doing great. All right. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about uh, your new album. It's titled Greatest Hits and uh, this new duo name, Dear Lady. And it's a little bit of a departure from your debut debut album, Sweet Tooth. And it seems like you're going a little bit more uh, from like the free jazz territory. And now you're into like the shoegaze rock. And uh, and I believe you kind of had like an indie folk period as well. So it seems like you like to keep your sound fresh. <laughs> yeah, I'm constantly departing. <laughs> um yeah, it's uh it's exciting to have it out though. We um me and Magdalena Abrego recorded it last fall and it was like right before we released Sweet Tooth, um the the free jazz album that you mentioned. So been kind of just sitting on both of the projects and and Magdalena actually plays in my free jazz band as well so um yeah we contain multitudes well let's talk about the title the album titled greatest hits uh <laughs> is that like a little bit of a jab at greatest hits albums i mean there sure are a lot of them out there well i mean we were kind of just like riffing and we were like you know, this might be the only album we make together. This was before we decided to officially be a band. And, you know, we're like, so technically all of these songs are our greatest hits. There you so go. Far. Well, I was yeah. wondering, I mean, are, are, are like greatest hits like even really albums? Because I've always considered them more right. like collections, right? They don't usually yeah. feature new material. Yeah, correct. That's correct. <laughs> and actually, we kind of screwed ourselves because um, streaming services also recognize them as. Um, compilations and so it's actually it was a little bit hard to find on spotify so whatever <laughs> <laughs> well what about do you do you have like a greatest hits album by any artists out there um you mean do i like are there greatest hits albums that i listen to yeah like any out there from any other musicians or yeah oh yeah or... i mean i feel like especially artists that have like huge catalogs with a lot of duds <laughs> um, but I, I love I love Tom Petty's greatest hits. Like I feel like I would listen to that over individual albums. Um, same with Dolly Parton, you know. Yeah, yeah, Dolly. People who had these like 
long, long careers and put out so many amazing singles, but weren't really focused on like the, the album experience, you know? Mm -hmm. Super cool. Well, Molly, we're going to take a break here in a little bit, a couple minutes, but, but before we do that, let's go ahead and just talk a little bit more about the album and a reflection of your relationships uh, during colonialism. It's, it's an, you know, a really strong theme throughout. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's just life, you know, like we we're, we're still living here in so-called America and like we, um, everything that we do is under colonialism, you know, in that way. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a bunch of songs that I wrote mostly during the pandemic and just kind of sitting with, you know, what it feels like to be alive right now, especially, you know, I'm 28 years old and um especially during the lockdowns, you know, seeing all the things that we already knew as Native people about society, like how this is unsustainable, you know, and how much everyone's polluting and, like, how much injustice there is. And it was just all, like, on the screen in front of us, and we weren't able to distract ourselves in the way we normally would um, outside of pandemic times, right? And And I just, I think I just wrote the entire album, like, kind of in front of the screen watching the world go down. That's what it felt like. <laughs> mm, powerful. We're going to take a break here, Molly, and we come back. We're going to listen to some tracks. So uh, super excited. And for listeners, if you'd like to join our conversation, if you'd like to talk to Molly, if you'd like to ask her a question, we've got open phone lines, 1-800-996-2848. That number again, 1-800-996-2848. Does your club, institution, or other group need custom-branded apparel? A wide variety of T-shirts, hoodies, and much more, all custom-printed or embroidered, are available from NativeScreenPrinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing who support this program. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at BNSF.com slash tribal relations. Thanks for listening to Native America Calling today. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. We're talking with musician Molly Abomswin about her newest release. Greatest Hits is a collaboration with Magdalena Abrego. They call themselves Dear Lady. If you'd like to give Molly a shout out, give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Well, Molly, we're going to go ahead and play the first track here, Masterpieces. Can you intro it for us? Yeah, Masterpieces. Uh, it's a song that I wrote. Um, a song that I wrote about, um, you know, being in the, one of the younger generations and confronting how much work that we've been handed to do. <laughs> uh, so let's take a listen. We'll never die, but go ahead, repeat the old lie, make believe it's coming. 
seems to me the problem starts and ends with you. That was the song Masterpieces from Molly Obamswin. Her new album is titled Greatest Hits under her duo Dear Lady. And Molly, one uh, aspect I really like of this song is this whole connection to the native outlaw Cherokee Bill. Tell us more about that. Yes. Thank you for catching that. Um, so I was working with my friend Jake on an album, um, and we were looking at we are looking at this Lead Belly song um, out on the Western Plains. We are like, how can we reinvent this song? I ended up going down this kind of rabbit hole on, like, Indian outlaws, um, like you do. <laughs> Friday nights <laughs> on Wikipedia. <laughs> and, um, and I ended up on, yeah, on Cherokee Bill's um, Wikipedia page. And <laughs> just, like, deep dive. Um, and, and his famous last words were... Um, I didn't come to make a speech. I came here to die, which is like, so I don't know what a way to go out, you know? Um, but, um, I, I'm, you know, writing this like very existential song. Um, and obviously 
I'm not going out yet. And, and my message more is like, how do we as native folks, like, just like decide to live, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. that what a, it's so important that we do, you know, and, and still like such an active resistance for us to just be like, you know what, I'm here to live. I'm not here to, you know, I mean, much respect to everyone who decides to like really um, work for justice and, you know, build the movement and the resistance and everything. But sometimes we just want to like live our lives and not um, feel the amount of responsibility that we inherit, you know, and we do all inherit this resistance from our ancestors, from our parents. And, um, but sometimes it's powerful enough just to decide to live. It is. Yeah. And we choose, right? We choose how much we're going to take on. Yeah. That's super cool, Molly. We've got a caller and I think you know him well, Molly, as well as our listeners, uh, Mr. Brett Maybe, who is calling in from the Seneca Nation Allegheny Territory. And if you recognize Brett's voice, maybe you've heard him as the host of Mainstream on NV1. Hello, Brett. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey, Sean. Thank you so much for letting me crash the party. And yeah, Molly, uh, thank you so much for letting me crash the party, too. This is uh, quite an honor. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm calling more as a fan this time around. <laughs> I love I, can I just say you guys both have such good radio voices and <laughs> to hear them together. Thank Amazing. Uh, the only thing is, though, Br- Brett looks good in person, too, and I just have a voice made for radio. <laughs> Wow, that's <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, thank you. Yeah. You know, yeah. once again, thank you. I hope we can all really kind of just savor this moment in jazz history and indigenous music history, like the contributions that Molly and Delbert and Julia and all the other heavy hitters out there in the jazz world right now are going to go down in history. And this is really a fun moment. So yeah, thank you so much again. Mm. Oh my gosh, thank you. Brett, really appreciate you calling in. Did you want to add anything else, or are you out? Well, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, nope, nope, I will say one thing uh, as far as the mainstream goes. I know for a fact that during this week, if you tune in, you can hear uh, some of the greatest hits from Dear Lady and some from Molly's previous band, uh, Lula Wiles, and uh, so much more. So, And, you know, it was cool. She was talking about Tom Petty and Dolly Parton, and I know both of those artists are – on episodes of the mainstream this week as well. So be sure to tune in and uh, find more information at nv1.org. All right, Brett. Thanks again for calling in. Really appreciate your call. And well, Molly, we, we can go two ways here. We can talk a little bit more or we can play another track. What do you think? Um, I mean, if you got any burning questions, throw them at me, but I'm happy to keep listening to music too. <laughs> I, I do have some burning questions, but let's go ahead and listen to uh, the song Believer by Dear Lady. Let's go ahead and take a listen.
All right, that is another great track. It's titled Believer by Dear Lady, and we've got Molly Obamswin here on the line. And, and Molly, tell us a little bit more about this collaboration you have with uh, Magdalena Abrego. Yeah. Um, so we, we did an interview the other day, and we realized during the interview that we both um, started on clarinet in the fourth grade. Um, and we were both like the two like little brown girls that were like extremely goth and edgy <laughs> playing clarinet <laughs> in oh, separate parts of uh, the United States. She's from Chicago. Um, <laughs> and um, we have lived this like kind of parallel musical existence for our entire lives. Um, we even went to the same school and never at the same time and never met each other. Um, and we had very similar, like, musical mentors. We always had this kind of parallel, like, free jazz and indie rock um, thing happening. And we only met for the first time uh, la two years ago when we were uh, working on this album. And we kind of got to know each other in the studio through recording um, Greatest Hits, what would become Greatest Hits. And Magdalene has since evolved from from being that little girl playing the clarinet, and she's now one heck of a guitar player. Dude, yeah, insane. She's a total monster. Mm, awesome. Yeah. Let's take another caller, Chanupa, who is listening on Keeley Radio in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Hello, Chanupa. Hey, glad that as you guys took my call, uh, Liberation Day is going on, and I'm with the walkers and protesters for the wounded knee takeover of... Uh, 73, all my brothers and sisters, late Russell, I'm honoring them. Well, I wanted to ask Molly a question here, and it's a serious question. Molly, have you ever took on a collaboration with a former male singers, such as um, Testament's Chuck Billy and um, Blackie Lawless from Wasp and Joey Belladonna from Anthrax? These three native individuals wrote songs about us, Okay. Uh, Testament, they came out this this one song called um, Native Blood. Anthrax, they came out with a song called Indians. And um, Blackie Lawless is called um, Wasted Youth. And so the reason they've written these songs about us is because they toured a lot of reservations. Anthrax and um, Testament, they went south, and then they came to Pine Ridge. Blackie Lawless, on the other hand, from um, Wasp, he came to Pine Ridge, him and uh, another guy by the name of Stone Gossip. And so our people, the Lakotas, gave them an understanding with that because we had previous musicians, you know, uh, Buddy Red Bull, uh, Jackie Bird, and a number of you know, other, you know, real strong singers. There was a song that was by another Native group called Wildside, okay? Uh -huh. And that song is called... Um, just a lonely, uh, just another night where it went like, outside my window, the rain begins to fall, memories of you and me, we had it all, now that you're gone, it doesn't feel the same, that's one of the lyrics and songs to Wildside, dedicated okay. to all the native people in Indian country, that's my question to end, thank you for taking my call, Sean. Much love to you. Be well. Ha-ho! All right. Ha-ho. Thank you so much, Chanupa. Well, 
Molly, boy, that's a lot of in insights there from wow. uh, Chanupa. Feel free notes. to chime in. I know. <laughs> Testament, Blackie Lawless, Anthrax, Traveling the Res. Holy what do you know Molly. about that? I don't know enough at all, but I'm about to. After this call, I'm going to look it all up. I feel like, you know, it's so amazing. I, I, I love people who have been keeping tabs on, yeah, how our cultures and our reservations and our aesthetic has been, you know, influencing pop media and pop culture and, and uh, you know, the industry. And we have been present for so long, just underappreciated, under-celebrated, you know. And, and I love that. I feel like there's such a bottomless pit of history in that and how natives have been influencing pop culture for hundreds of years. Molly, who are some of your biggest influences, native artists, native singers, native songwriters, native musicians? Well, I will tell you that I went to see KP Black Belt Eagle Scout last night and it was an incredible show. And mm -hmm. she was a huge influence for um, greatest hits. Um, another one, an influence for greatest hits and just in life, um, Rage Against the Machine. Um, you know, obviously in the jazz world, we talk a lot about Mildred Bailey these days, um, who she wasn't actually an influence. I, I didn't know about her until really recently. Um, but, you know, those early songs, those jazz songs in like the 20s and the 30s is kind of the repertoire that my dad plays um, and that he learned from his dad. And um, so my my dad's family, they came from Odernak and actually moved to the Bay Area in the 1940s, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and and they all played jazz out there. And, like, nice. my dad grew up playing jazz out there. So, so my own family is, like, a big influence on me musically as well. Well, right on, Molly. Uh, we're going to have to wrap up, but really quickly, upcoming tour dates. Well, tonight I'm actually playing at Yoshi's in Oakland. Um, Yoshi's Jazz Club in Oakland, California. And um, I'm playing at Monterey Bay uh, on next Friday, and then Toronto in March, and a big um, album release show for Dear Lady in New York City on March 29th. All right. Well, congratulations again on all your success, Molly, and uh, keep giving us great music, okay? Thank you so much, Sean. I'll try. <laughs> all right. You bet. Folks, we will be back again tomorrow looking at the unique take on history, culture, and society that Black Indigenous artists provide. I look forward to talking with you then. Until then, take care. I'm Sean Spruce. The Indian Arts and Crafts Act protects authentic American Indian and Alaska Native artists and craftspeople and their art and craftwork. Under the act, it is illegal to market art or craftwork misrepresented as American Indian, Indian, Native American, or Alaska Native made, or as the product of a particular Indian tribe. Reporting potential act violations can be done at doi.gov IACB or at 1-888-ART-FAKE. Support provided by Indian Arts and Crafts Board. Services.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.